The only purpose for his life could be to serve as a warning to others. It's the Drew Marshall Show. Folks, you're listening to the Drew Marshall Show, streaming live at drewmarshall.ca. We're live on Real Radio right here in Southern Ontario, Joy 1250. You can also uh, get the TuneIn app on your smartphone and tune in live right now. Because uh, we got a kind of a cool, we have such a cool guest up that I don't even want to waste time reading the whole blurb we got on him. I, I simply want to say this. Me and all the guys in Nickelback are massive Megadeth fans. Ellison's bass playing is incredible. I cannot think of a better intro to Canada's most listened to spiritual talk show <laughs> than Mike Kruger and the guys uh, from, um, what's that band called again, Tim? I can't remember the name. Uh, quarterback. Nickelback. Stop Sorry. it. Folks on the show, David Ellison. Dude, how you doing, man? Where are you? Are you like a uh, California, hey, L.A. guy? No, I'm here at my home in uh, Arizona. I live here in Scottsdale, Arizona, which is just in the Tempe area. And nice, uh, nice sunny, beautiful, warm day here. Nice. You're right around the corner from Coop, probably then, huh? I am. Yeah, you know, it's funny with me and Alice. We see each other only on the other sides of the world. <laughs> we live about 20 minutes from each other. We never, ever run into each other in Phoenix. Yet, you know, we'll be at some award show in L.A. or playing in some festival in Quebec or Germany or something. And that's usually when we run into each other and, and get caught up and see what's happening back in Phoenix together. All right. Well, here's the book, My Life with Death, uh, Discovering Meaning in a Life of Rock and Roll, forwarded by the Koopmeister. Uh, by the way, the loudest concert I've ever been to in my life, Alice Cooper, when well, my son and I went a few years ago, and I, re- I literally had to go out to the bathroom, grab some toilet paper, and shove it in my ears. I, it was unfreaking believable Are your concerts that loud? You know, our concerts are mixed for high fidelity, believe it or not. Huh. Um, we've had uh, um, the, you know, it's funny, a few years ago, we really, you know, our records, we've always gone to great length to stay up on the latest technology, first analog and then digital, and, and really making great high fidelity sounding records. So we want that to be replicated live. We're not a band that jams on stage. We play the songs exactly the way they are on the record. And, you know, tell the fans learn it. That's how the fans should hear it live. Um, you know, at one point we had a mixer a couple years ago who came in, and he was just a fill-in guy. And he wanted to mix us like Motorhead, just everything louder than everything else. And uh, and the fans complained. I mean, they were upset. We were down in South America, which is one of our biggest territories, playing big arenas, and the fans like, what is this? This is not the Megadeth that we know from all over the years. Why does this not sound good? And so, boy, we had a real... Uh, That's cool. 
come to Jesus if you were with him. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> dude, you need to learn how to mix Megadeth the way Megadeth fans expect it to be, which is it, it needs to sound great. Okay, 83, Dave and you met. First shows are in 84, record deal in 85, and it all started with Sarah Palin in the Wurlitzer, or in other words, your mother and the organ. Uh, I wouldn't compare my mother to Sarah Palin. No, <laughs> come on. But does she not <laughs> sound? Do that. Your mother but, sounds like Sarah Palin. Come on. She, well, yeah, she does. She, well, she's she's definitely the uh, Minnesota Fargo thing. Yeah, all right. I I get the comparison from the <laughs> from the from the from the accent. I get you. Okay, I'm with you. Give us give us your um, best give us your best mother impersonation. How would your mother talk to you? Oh yeah, sure, David. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, here we go. There. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's classic. I would I venture to say I've never talked like that, but my friend Greg Hanovit, who is in the book, he's one of my best friends growing up. When we moved to California, I remember one day, right after we met Dave Mustaine, and we were sitting on the couch in our little studio apartment. He go, he looked at me and he goes, David, we're hicks, man, we're from the farm in Minnesota. And it was this real reality wake-up call. Like, oh, boy, i got to get with the program, man. I'm in Hollywood. I want to be a rock star. It's time to get it together. Nice, nice. Well, of course, Mom sang in the church choir. No piano at home, but you had the Wurlitzer going. But then you busted out. You figured out what Emilio Castillo said a couple of weeks ago, that he figured uh, figured out if you played the saxophone, that's how you got girls, right? So in fifth grade, uh, you figured out the tenor sax was the way to go. Is that right? Yeah, but it wasn't because it was girls, because believe me, again, I'm this really sheltered, protected little Lutheran kid who lives on the farm six miles out of town in Minnesota, you know what I mean? So believe me, girls are not on my radar until I'm at least 15, 16 years old. And so when I picked up the saxophone quite I picked it up because it was kind of the coolest, flashiest-looking instrument that they had. There's either the trumpet, the trombone, or the snare drum, and I'm thinking, well, the sax is definitely cooler than all those. What about the triangle? Yeah, you know, look, the triangle and the cowbell now have come to great fame here in recent years, haven't they, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, they, they SNL and things like that. But, um, Put a little distortion yeah. on the triangle, you know, a little chorus. Yeah. You know, the thing of it is, I never really got that good at the sax because the music never called to me. And you're, and you're right, you've actually inspired me. Maybe I should go home and plug it in and put some distortion <laughs> in a wah-wah on it. It'd probably be pretty ripping. So new, new type of sax, right? <laughs> So it picks up the bass at age 11, I think, concerts around 12 or 13, um, and and this thing just is really, I mean, what is it, like 73 years later, you're just this huge rock star? I mean, way to go, man. You know, it's 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 funny. I, I heard that I was, uh, there was a pastor at a sermon about a month ago when I was at church, and the guy said, he said, you know, for anybody, and this guy was an NCAA, NCAA coach, and he was talking about, you know, achieving greatness, of course, one of these kind of sermons, and, and but there was a... There was a uh, kind of a well-known statistic that any great achievements take about 10,000 hours of dedication to that craft, whether you're throwing a javelin, you're you're on the radio like you are, or you're playing bass in a rock band like I am. Hmm. And I got to thinking about it, and I don't know how long it takes 10, you know, I don't know, 10,000 hours. I don't know what that is in years or dog years or anything, but, yeah. you know, it, 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 the reality of it is it takes a long time. Um, you know, even overnight successes usually have years and years and years of work behind them. And, in, in Megadeth, you know, we started in 83, and it, it took until the early 90s before we really started to get some, some mainstream success. And the fact that we're here 30 years later, even talking about it, is 
even probably more remarkable because uh, the two hardest things about having a rock band are number one, starting it, and number two, keeping the thing together. Hmm. Okay, on the phone with David Ellison, his uh, book is called My Life with Death, Discovering Meaning in a Life of Rock and Roll. What you've just been talking about, David, is similar to marriage, I would think. You know, you've been married for, what, like 20 years or something? 20 years this year, yep. Yeah. Exactly. And you started having kids who are now, what, your son, isn't he like 18, your daughter's like 15, something like that? Yeah. Hey, you're right on the money. I have my son, Roman, his birthday, 18 tomorrow, Super Bowl Sunday, and then my daughter is 15. Yep, you're right. You're right on the money. So when the kids came around, um, is, is does that sort of coincide with sort of your life conviction? Like you started measuring things a little differently, kind of going, geez, I need to get my act together? Well, you know, fortunately, I had gotten sobered up in 1990. Um, I'd met my wife around the same time when we married in uh, 1994 my son came in 96 my daughter in 98 so fortunately through the 90s was really this 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 decade of you know kind of coming to coming to believe and then you know kind of coming to the party of of getting real with life and uh and to try to do that i think just period is just a natural progression of of all of humans you know in your 20s and your early 30s Trying to do it in a rock and roll band and one known as Megadeth is a whole other challenge because of just the lifestyle you're traveling. Um, it's a, it's an unusual lifestyle anyway. Um, and fortunately, and I, I think quite honestly, in, in in my book, that really was a big thrust of the story. Um, was that you know because I got clean because I went back into the Lutheran church that I grew up in. My kids were raised them in the Lutheran church and. You know, that there was that stability. That was the benchmark by which all decisions were measured. Okay, I'm trying to track this, man, because when Coop was ta- you know, telling me about his life, I mean, you know, he was, he was really spinning out of control. I mean, the booze just had a right. massive hold of him. I'm not so sure the drugs, I think, uh, kind of, I don't think they were the big issue. I think it was the booze. Is that right with his life? Yeah, I think so. But, you know, look, alcohol's the one of the worst drugs that's out there. Yeah, yeah. You know? I mean, yeah. you know, you have these things where people are now debating, you know, is marijuana or pot? I mean, look, you know, both of them are mind-altering, so, yeah. you know, pick a pick a poison, you know. So, but without getting into to that moral debate, um, you know, the thing of it is, is, is yeah, but it's by 88, 89, I mean, that was my bottom. For me, it was heroin, cocaine, alcohol, pot, kind of the four, those were my four horsemen, you know, that, that, that took me down. So 1990, getting clean, you know, coming coming out of that, you know, drug addiction is a really, it, it's, it's, an, it's a strange transition back into normal life. And I'm lucky because to me it happened when I was 25 years of age, you know, and that's a young age. You're not as detached probably from kind of from the womb, if you will. <laughs> you know, I'm pretty young at that age, you know, so to come around to have a wife who, uh, or a woman who had become my wife who really was willing to, you know, commit her life to, to my life and, and, you know, a life together, which then, of course, led to us, you know, first of all, we were, you know, I was clean, we had a good marriage under us, and then to have start having children. It was done in, as you've noticed in the book, I refer to G-O-D, good orderly direction. <laughs> and I think in, unless, you know, I think it's when you try to retrofit faith into your life or you try to retrofit you know, you know, good orderly direction back into your life. It's a lot harder than. Fortunately for me, things were laid out in a in an order that made sense, and everything just kind of piggybacked and built from one from one block to the next. Okay, David. Seriously, what's the go with all these rockers becoming Jesus guys? I mean, there's you, there's Dave, there's Brian Head Welch, who we've had on the show. Scott Staff has been on the show. Blackie Lawless from Wasp. I mean, Justin Bieber. Oh, sorry. 
I got, I got <laughs> not yet, I guess. Well, you know, here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. You know, for me, I didn't just one day wake up, fall to the cross, and become a Jesus guy. You know, I was raised in the Lutheran Church, I was baptized a month old, did my confirmation, went to church on Sunday. You know, mandated. And, and I'm like a lot of people. By the time I was confirmed, I, then I fell away from the church. And in my you know 15, 16 years old, was was heavily into playing rock and roll. Uh, I don't think rock and roll pulled me away from the church. I think it just kind of followed the natural progression. You're growing up, you're trying to sow your oats, you're finding out who you are as a person. And, you know, I moved to California at age 18 to Hollywood. Megadeth gets started, we get rolling. But again, the, the dope and the booze brought me to my knees by the time I was 25. At that moment, I really, uh, it was the, um, you know, it was it was the recovery and sobriety culture that brought me back into the faith world again. And it really wasn't until, you know, almost 10 years later when I was married and at this point had my kids that we started, you know, taking them to church and kind of going, well, you should probably, you know, have a benchmark of, of morality and, you know, to, to raise our family in. And and that's when I started to get involved in church. Quite honestly, one day a worship leader reached out to me and said, hey, I need a bass player next week. Can you play? <laughs> and so, you know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like God, I think God knew it's like, look, if I can get Allison to bring his bass, I might be able to get a hold of him, you know? <laughs> Otherwise, he probably won't show up. Okay, so but you, I'm hold on, you, you bring up a great point here. How can David Ellison sit in a church and listen to that freaking horrible music? Well, the thing of it is, is, is it, well, this wasn't the same old pipe organ music that I grew up hearing in the Lutheran Church. This was like this, you know, almost rock and roll pop music kind of stuff. Right. And, and I gotta be honest with you, it was pretty good. To okay. me, it sounded more like probably guys my age, maybe a little bit older, who, who, you know, just grew up and they decided, hey, let's start writing, you know, kind of rock and roll church songs on our electric guitar. And this whole new culture developed through the 90s and into the 2000s, and that's the church culture I started to get involved in. Interesting. I still, from from everything I've read and, and, and kind of, I don't know, I, I think this is true. Is the Bible still the number one book used to write heavy metal lyrics? That's what Revolver Magazine says, and they're the heavy metal experts, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to default to them. Man, I still, okay, I understand your story, you know, you had the Jesus background, you kind of drifted, you came back, I get that, you know, you train a child in the way you should go, blah, blah, blah. Oh, sorry, I guess you shouldn't say blah, blah, blah when you're talking about scripture. Is it a trend? Is it, There just seems to be a lot of metalheads, you know, guys, serious dudes in the, in the business that are, you know, going, man, I need to sign up for the Jesus program. What is going well, on with that? Well, here's the thing. I think most of us here in Western culture are of a Judeo-Christian background. So it's kind of woven into our fabric. It's from where our forefathers came um, to, those, especially those of us here in North America. I mean, those were our descendants. And that, that faith belief was part of uh, part of that ancestry. So it's not such a far stretch to go to. No. Most of us probably had our foot in the church at some point when we were younger. We probably grew up in sort of sort of a religious background of some sort. So for us to, to return back to that, you know, as we get older, you know, the, I love Rick Warren's book. I think he's a great pastor. I certainly love his books. And, you know, in, the, in the, his 40 Days book, he speaks to this, that, you know, we're, we're meant to grow up. And the Bible talks about that, that, you know, when a boy turns into a man, he lets go of his boyish ways. That's part of growing up. That's part of how the good Lord designed us. So as we grow up, we tend to seek things. Plus, we also realize we're going to die. You know, and I think, you know, death is kind of the great wake-up call. Um, and so for some of us who face death at a young age with drugs, it's a serious wake-up call. Yeah. Others of us, as we get into the middle of our life, we look around and we start to realize, 
you know, when we're young, we climb bridges, we swing off ropes, because we're, we're fearless. We're not, we're not afraid of dying. When you get to the end of your 40s, 50s, yes, and you realize, you know what, I am going to die. And, yeah. like, then what? And, 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 and so I think that's probably the great equalizer. Okay, so Mustaine, you know, he was raised in a Lutheran home. What is with you Lutherans? It's weird. Uh, he was raised in a Lutheran yeah. home. Then his mom became a J-dub, and he got apparently got into witchcraft, and he got kicked out of Metallica for being a douche, became mm-hmm. a Jesus guy. Let's do a little game show thing here. Let's, this is called, Is Wikipedia right. True? In 2003, after healing an arm injury that threatened to end his career, Dave Mustaine has become a born-again Christian. Minor controversy was sparked by Mustaine's announcement that Megadeth will not play certain songs live anymore due to his identification as a Christian. In May 2005, Mustaine also allegedly threatened to cancel shows in Greece and Israel with extreme metal bands Rotting Christ and Dissection due to the band's anti-Christian beliefs. Uh, This caused the two bands to cancel their appearances. Is Wikipedia true? That is true, yes. Man. Okay, I just you know I, I I remember asking Coop about is there any songs that he d- he doesn't do anymore because you know he's 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 um, he's a Jesus guy now and I honestly can't remember his answer so I don't know why I brought that up I think there are well, some I know, songs I know with I think with Alice you know just and I haven't asked him pointedly this question but I think his view is is one when, when he goes on stage in the makeup Alice Cooper is the the biggest villain in the world right and it's a stage act and he goes into character. And when he walks off that stage, he, he wipes the makeup off, he changes his clothes into street clothes, you know, hops yeah. in the minivan, grabs the wife and kids, and off to the country club to play golf. He becomes that. He becomes Alice, or I guess formerly Vince, you know, he yeah. becomes that guy. And I think probably for him it's easier because there's clearly an identity shift that happens. Um, probably like a hockey player, you sure. know, you're, you're, you're dude until you go on the ice and now you're in your garb, you got your helmet and your mask and you put your game face on and you're out there to, to score points at all costs, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's a little bit know, like, uh, it's a little bit like Ted Haggard, you know, on Sunday you're, you're the leader of the evangelical crowd and then uh, Sunday night you're getting a massage by a gay <laughs> massage guy doing some blow. Well, you know, it's pretty interesting when we were over, we played over in, not, not to not to that extreme, I might add, to, to this story I'm about to tell you, but, you know, it's funny, we went over to, you know, we were in Israel on Passover um, a few years ago, and boy, I tell you what, man, the pilgrimage, it goes down, everything shuts down, they wouldn't grind my Starbucks coffee, you know, I mean, nothing, you know, I mean, you know, and, and, and then... So I'm out on the balcony crushing up my Starbucks coffee on my own, you know, to put it in my French press in my room. But whatever, you know. Princess. So it, I say, what, the next day, I mean, nothing goes on. And then the next day at sunset, it's, I think at 5 p.m., they open the doors to our shows. And, boy, it's game on, man. Yeah. I mean, it's full-on rock concert, and everybody's yeah. ready to do their thing. So okay. hey, I guess everybody has their practice, you know. On the phone, David Ellison, his book, My Life with Death. Let's do one more Is Wikipedia True uh, thing here. In July '04, former bassist Dave Ellison sued Mustang for $18.5 million in Manhattan Federal Court. Elson alleged that Mustaine shortchanged him on profits and backed out of a deal to turn Megadeth over to him when they disbanded in 2002. Elson also accused Mustaine of locking him out of merchandise publishing royalties. The suit was dismissed in 2005. Mustaine filed a countersuit that was settled out of court. True or false? Uh, it, it, most of that is true. Some of the facts in there about exactly what we were litigating over are not true. Okay. Um, but, the, yeah, was there was there legal issues between us? Yeah. We were both owners of the corporation, and um, you know, it was basically it was it was it was shareholder issues, not music based or anything else. I'm sure we don't want to you know labor that point, but suffice it to say that you and uh, and uh, Dave, Dave and Dave, and his other brother Dave, stood in front of Judge Judy and got it got it all worked out eventually, right? Yeah, something something to that okay. degree. That'll work. <laughs> I mean, look, the, the good news is you know, look, 
the rock bands, like you said earlier, are a lot like marriages. Dave and I are like brothers. Brothers fight. You yeah. know, it's just it's the way it goes. And, you know, rather than us throwing fists at each other, look, we have disagreements over things from time to time. And, we, you know, we've always had a saying in, in Megadeth, if, if both of us agree on everything, well, then one of us is unnecessary. So, you know, having, having a good disagreement once in a while is, is the agree to disagree so that you can challenge each other and, and hopefully make things better. And obviously he and I are back on stage playing and touring and making records again. So, you know, yeah. it, was, it was a hiccup in the past. It's done. It's over. It's water under the bridge. If both of us agree on everything, then one of us is unnecessary. That should be written into vows. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good idea. Maybe you can maybe you can put that into like the you know the Lutheran service book. There we go. Yeah, that's right. You know when he was interviewed when Dave was interviewed by a buddy of mine here in Toronto, he he um I, I don't want to kind of go on this, but I'm trying to I don't know him I don't know you I'm just kind of going off of stuff I've seen and he was not the easiest guy to interview. He actually kind of reminded me of Larry Norman, who by the way also signed with Capitol Records back in the seventies, I think. You know, most guys that are visionaries of certain things or starter starter guys of certain, you know, founding member of this, that, or the other, they uh, they have this great gift, but along with that gift comes a backside to it. And I'm just, I guess what I'm saying is you seem a lot easier to get along with. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, and you know what? I think that's probably why he and I are the founders of Megadeth. I mean, he being the founder, me being a co-founder, yeah. because, you know, it, it, uh, you know, I'll go ahead. I think if you probably looked at Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak and... Sure, they were jerks, uh, too. You know, yeah, Bill Gates, and, you know, I don't know. You know, I guess as it goes through, you know, you can look at this, and, and you're right. Sometimes, you know, the uncompromising, unrelenting vision... That that a, that a founder needs to push through. Yeah, it's you're you're gonna you're gonna piss some people off. Yeah, you know, yeah. some people are gonna get some hurt feelings. Um, at the same time, there does need to be a little yin to the yang because, and I and I wrote about this in my book that you know, if 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 it were Dave, all Dave, it would just be complete gunfire. And you know, if it were all me, it would probably be hey, let's 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 step back and maybe surrender. Yeah. And and and, and it, it takes you know you have to push forward, and then there's a moment to go yeah you know what let's pull back man this this is not a battle worth fighting let it go let's live to fight another day so i think it it really does take the the dynamic that that dave and i have uh to that's really and that that's the chemistry and quite honestly that's the sweet spot of megadeth exactly well said just briefly i want to mention this because i I don't know it's the perfect time to mention it i was not impressed with metallica's performance at the grammys when they had especially with william hung on piano or whatever his name was there dude that was freaking horrible anyway that's my opinion you're not allowed you're not allowed to have an opinion on that are you Okay, good. No, I, I'll I'll just I'll just listen to you talk. Yep, that'll be good. Okay, yeah, get you out of that one. Okay, what is with the Scandinavians and and metal bands, man? It's like, I mean, is it because those people really embrace angst? They just seem to love you guys. Well, you know, it's funny. Ellison is a Scandinavian name. I'm not from Scandinavia, but considering it's dark half the year up there, like it is in Alaska, <laughs> yeah. so I can see why the I can see why the uh, probably alcoholic depression sets in, and that's a pretty good founding thing to like start writing some 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 metal some metal written metal. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> okay, so, all right. Darkness, darkness brings metal. You know. <laughs> okay, good. Um, okay, how about this? We'll finish with this. We'll let you go. And by the way, I really appreciate your time. You know, really easy cat. Yeah, you're welcome. Really easy cat to talk to. When people say it just sounds evil uh, or demonic, uh, even the way the guys look and act on stage, you know. It's kind of like I think they want the cast of Glee to do to be in a metal band. 
You know what I mean? And and I, I what I like I know Kiss was you know Kiss influenced me heaps at the beginning too, and they influenced you a lot. Uh, and and thankfully you've moved on to Rush, helping you progress in your in your talents. Thank you very I'm much. Better, yes, yeah, 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 absolutely. And now, but here's a weird thing. I've got six questions in in one here. You also really okay. dig BTO. Speaking of Canadians influencing your life, they were my very first rock band that that actually got me hip that there was such a thing as hard rock and eventually heavy metal. When I heard the Not Fragile record, mm. a, a farmhand that my dad had hired to work on the farm, and he was probably 21 years old, and we'd sit in the tractor, the John Deere tractor that had an eight-track player, and he had the eight-track and Not Fragile. That record single-handedly changed my life, and it's the reason I'm on the phone with you right now. Wow, that's if it wasn't if it wasn't for that record, I, it, it, none of this would have happened. So, thankfully, uh, Canadians have redeemed ourselves uh, from the world of Justin Bieber. Hey, let me tell you something. BTO, Rush, April Wine. Yeah, and there's another one, right? I mean, April Wine was just you know, and I even talked about it in the book when I saw the back of the Harder Faster record. I mean, that was like now that's a rock band. Now yeah. that looks like. That looks like a cool thing to go do. Okay, so when people say it just sounds evil or demonic, or you know, even the way you guys sing it, you know, that like we're talking more death metal now than anything. But you know, yeah, how right. do you how do you counter that? How do you say, you know, and yes, praise the Lord, I love Jesus. <laughs> well, you know, here's the thing: <laughs> your conviction, or my conviction, I should say, of a faith in a creator beyond me. Let's just put it in those terms. Yeah, you know. That doesn't have to be in every single lyric or every single song I ever wrote. Now, having known that there is a creator who created all things for good and, you know, for righteous, glorious things to happen, because of that, that's how you can differentiate if something is evil or not, right? Mm -hmm. It's like you can't believe in God and not believe in the devil, or believe in the devil and not believe in God. The two, they go hand in hand. They're positive, negative, right? Mm -hmm. So, to me, that's the benchmark. Like, when I met Dave, and we were getting in a room, and he started playing some of the earliest tunes, which are from our first couple of records, I mean, they were dark, and they were heavy, and it was something that I'd never heard before. And that intrigued me, you know, quite honestly. It's like, look, I knew the difference. I sang Lutheran songs to the pipe organ in church growing up, so I knew that was good. <laughs> I mean, Dave, this not so good, right? <laughs> so, so I had a benchmark, you know, and, and, you know, I mean, I guess here's the weird thing. Why is it that here I am, kid from the farm, no right to wrong, raised in a good family, go to church on Sunday, now all of a sudden I'm in a room hearing something really dark, clearly evil, and scares me, and I love it. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's the bigger question, yeah. right? What is, why is it that we know that, you know, this probably isn't going to end well one day, right? Yet, you know what? I'm all in. Yeah. Push all my chips forward on the table in Vegas. Let's go. I'm all in. Let's let's rock. You know. So, it's, you know, it's funny. That's the bigger question. It's, Why? It's funny know? when I listen to the Kiss albums. Like Destroyer was one of my favorite. And when I listen to that now, you know, I remember back in the day thinking I was, you know, I was so close to hanging out with Satan that it wasn't even funny. You know, when right. I was listening to Kiss Destroyer, a God of Thunder, or whatever, right? And uh, now I listen to it, and and it just it's kind of silly how I used to think it was that. It's like Disney Family Entertainment at this point. Yes, you know? and, it, 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 and it's funny. I know exactly what you mean because first was not fragile. Second album was Kiss Destroyer. This just this morning, I was in the car with my son. We turned on XM Radio, and on comes "Shout It Out Loud." And I told my son Roman, I said, "Roman, that song right there was every time I heard that song when I was 11 years old. It, it's the thing that just changed everything yeah. in my life. I wanted to play bass. I wanted to be Kiss." That was the dream, right? And, he, and he's like, kind of listen to me going, wow, I never knew that, you know? So, 
So it, it's, it, you know, I remember seeing Kiss, me and Marty Friedman, who played Megadeth at the time, we went down 1996 here in Phoenix to go see the Kiss reunion tour. And we're sitting there second row, like two little kids, you know, and we're professionals now, so we know how the smoke works and how the drum riser goes up and down. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that 20 of the cabinets on stage are empty, and it's, you know, we know <laughs> show business. So, yeah. you know, you're kind of looking at it with a little bit of, you know, a little bit of wisdom. But at the same time, there's a part of you looking at that going, man, these guys changed my life yeah. forever, yeah. you know. And and um, then, then fast forward, you know, five years, and now I'm going down to go see Slipknot. Now, Slipknot <laughs> is, you know, dark, heavy, scary music. And I mean... You know, all the meth heads and everybody in the crowd who runs down to just beat the heck out of each other down on the floor. It's like, wow, I used to think Kiss was dangerous. Now Slipknot, this is the real deal, you know. So I, I agree with you, man. It's like, the, the you know, the more cookie monster the vocal gets, obviously the darker and heavier. And, you know, <laughs> I haven't heard that term. I love that. That's classic. I love it. I've got a buddy of mine who he and I grew up together, and we were huge Kiss fans. Andy Walton, he's listening right now. He's a bass player in his band, and he wanted me to ask, ask you um what are you listening to these days i mean other than a lutheran organ rap (laughs) well you know um here's what it is there's a couple things um i listen to probably a couple of my favorite records recently are the new carcass record uh i like the new trivium record um jason newstead's new record i like is cool so from metal music Digging that stuff. Um, on the other side, I wake up at 6 in the morning, get my kids off to school, and usually I drive my daughter on this little 15-minute trip, and it's mandatory Taylor Swift, Bruno Mars, nice. Pink, Imagine Dragons, you know, basically everything you just saw at the Grammys the other night. Yeah. So I'm pretty well-versed. Like, when I see the Grammys, I'm not one of these guys that sits around on Facebook and says the Grammys suck and music's terrible and what's happened to our world and blah, blah, blah. Because <laughs> I try to keep my ear in all of it, you yeah. know. And yeah. as, a, as a professional and as a songwriter, it's you need to know what's going on around you. So, you know, to me, I'm, I feel like I've got a pretty good handle on the pulse of what's happening right now. You are way cooler than I thought you'd be. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. David Ellison dot com is where you want to go. That's the website. David Ellison, that's E L L E F S O N. David Ellison dot com. He is uh, one of the founding members of uh, Grammy nominated Megadeth. My Life with Death is his book, Discovering Meaning in a Life of Rock and Roll. Great stuff in there, and you really walk the line of uh, how much should I tell, how much should I not tell, uh, and uh, I, just well done, man. Really well done. I really appreciate your time, too. You gave us tons. Thanks, man. Thank you, guys. You're excellent. Have a, have a wonderful Saturday. All right, David. Take care. Hey, folks, I want to tell you about the Drew Marshall Show 1250 special. You ready for this? For 1250, that's right, only $12.50, we'll mention your organization's name, website, and a brief description. Did you catch that? During each show, we'll read out your organization's name, website, and a brief description for only $12.50. Now, obviously, there's no point in doing that only once during a four-hour show, so we'll read your advertisement four times per show for an entire month, and each time we do it, it'll only cost you $12.50. It's kind of like putting an advertisement up on every church bulletin in the GTA, except you don't have to get permission from that grumpy old lady at the front desk. 
Now, look, because there are limited spots available for our 1250 special, why don't you call us right now, toll free on 877 Joy 1250? Now, sure, we're right in the middle of things here in the show, but if you call us right now, toll free on 877 Joy 1250, we'll take your name and number and call you back on Monday to sign up for the Drew Marshall Show 1250 special. This is nuts. Are you sure we want to do this? How am I supposed to make any money?